All right, Matthew 25 tonight. Matthew chapter 25. Here, here's what's tough about preaching on a lot of these second coming passages. Some of you have heard these things a dozen times and more through the course of several decades of being saved. And I run the risk of, of boring you with something that you have heard and understood for a long, long time. And then there's others of you that are either new Christians or new to, new to the Bible. And I run the risk of, of assuming that you know things that you couldn't know. And so we're just going to try and, and do our best to just cover these things. And here's all I would say to you if you're, if you're a new Christian, if you're just starting out in the Bible. The first time I heard dozens, dozens, dozens of things taught from the Bible, I didn't get it. I didn't know what to do with it. It, it just, I had nothing to, to, to latch on to. And the second time it made a little more sense. And the third time it was a little clearer. And, and eventually you get to the place where it all just fits together. And all I can tell you is you, you won't get to the place where it all fits together if you don't go through that first time of hearing something and saying, I don't know what he's talking about. Okay? So, I mean, look, this is a big book. I've had people tell me, I'm not looking at anybody, uh, <laughs> but I have people tell me, said, you know, I, I, I went first grade, second grade, third grade, 12th grade, got my diploma, got a job. I never read a book in my life from cover to cover. And then I got saved, and I'm supposed to read this one? I mean, you got to admit, that's a big book to be the first book you ever read. There's a lot in there, and, and so uh, just get what you can each time, and every time it'll just add a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. It's like, uh, you know, you, you eat one meal, you don't think it does anything for you, but one day you look around and you're huge, and you just, <laughs> and just, just <laughs> little, little by little it adds up, so, amen. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm just <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible. We're so, we're, we're just still just amazed that you would put your words in writing and give them to man so that we could know these things and, and have these, this great hope uh, in a world that seems so hopeless. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name and amen. Now, let's, let's, go, over, let's go over this again. Jesus Christ is coming again. He came once, born as a babe in a manger. He grew up, he died on a cross to pay for the sins of the whole world, ascended, arose from the dead, ascended back to heaven. He's coming a second time. The rapture of the church is not the second coming. Because when the Lord descends and we get caught up to meet him in the air, he never comes back to this earth. We meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. But there will be a time when He will return to this earth. Acts 1, He'll come, he'll come just as you saw Him go. His feet shall stand in that day on the Mount of Olives, the same place they were standing the last time His feet were on this earth. And so that is, that is called the second coming of Jesus Christ, or the, the second advent of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're, we're so far gone now, I, 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 I'm only briefly, only ever so briefly am I tempted to just go all in on, on Christmas again because everybody's so ignorant, they don't know the first thing about the coming of Christ or anything else. But um, it, it, it's, it's just a disaster. Anyway, um, you, people see these the Advent calendars and they don't even know what that means and it's supposed to be counting down the days till Jesus was born 
That's his advent. That means he was somewhere and he came here. And there's going to be a second advent, a second time he's going to come to this earth. Not just like he came the first time, but this same Jesus shall so come. Not going to come as a baby next time. He's going to come as King of kings and Lord of lords. But he's coming back to this earth. And, and we believe that in spite of the fact that almost no one anymore believes that. Or if they do believe, they're sure staying quiet about it. Now, second thing we've got to go over again. There is a kingdom of God in the Bible. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall you say, lo here or lo there. The kingdom of God is within you. It's the invisible operation of God as he governs spiritually over all that is subject unto him. The kingdom of heaven, God, God created the heavens and the earth. Heavens are physical. Uh, God, God has a physical kingdom that exists on this earth. Right now it's, in, it's under the uh, control of Gentile world powers and will be until the times of the Gentiles end with the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence. And the violent take it by force. And when Jesus Christ comes back to take over the kingdom of heaven, it will be a very violent, very forceful event at that battle of Armageddon and all that goes with it. So in, in these passages in Matthew, we're reading about the kingdom of heaven, that is the earthly kingdom, and these passages that we're reading require the return of Jesus Christ in order for them to be fulfilled. So let's read together, starting at verse 1. Then, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins. Now, let me say to our, our, uh, our website guys, this sermon comes after Sunday morning's sermon. But this is really weird because it's not Sunday morning yet, it's Thursday night. So we're, we're in a time warp here. We have, we have traveled back in time from Sunday evening to Thursday night, and we're having, we're having the Sunday night sermon on Thursday night. Woo! You, it happened so fast you didn't even feel it. You just thought, you thought it was... Anyway... So when he says, then shall the kingdom of heaven be like the ten virgins, the, the then refers to the events of Matthew chapter 24, the second coming of Jesus Christ, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Now here's what I've got to say before we read this passage and go into all of our fanciful interpretations about what the oil is and what the lamps are and how you buy oil and how you have oil and don't have oil and who the virgins are and how many virgins there are. Let's read what Jesus said. We just read over it, but let's read what he said. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. You know, what the, you know what Jesus didn't say? He didn't say the kingdom of heaven is ten virgins. He didn't say the nation of Israel is ten virgins. He didn't say believers and unbelievers are ten virgins. He didn't say that lamps are salvation or lamps are human bodies or lamps are nations. He didn't say oil is the Holy Spirit or oil is uh, the, uh, the trade and commerce in crude that governs the world economy. All these things that people try to make 
parts of what Jesus is about to say, what he said is, I'm trying to give you a comparison so you can understand a one truth. There's one thing I want you to learn, and I'm going to tell you a story so you can learn that one thing. Let's take a look. So we got these ten virgins, they've got lamps, and they went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps, and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Okay, so there's no point in having a lamp if you don't have oil in the lamp. Correct? So you got the lamp, but you don't have the oil. That means you're not ready to use the lamp. You're not prepared to use the lamp. Correct? It's pretty simple. And the Bible says in verse number 5, While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Now, what would you need to go out of your house and go meet a bridegroom at midnight, you would need a lamp. No street lights, there's no electricity, you don't have a chariot with headlights on or anything like that. You've got a lamp. If your lamp doesn't have any oil in it, you don't have any light and you can't go out and meet the bridegroom because it's midnight, it's dark outside. Pretty simple. Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. That's, 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 that's a strong hope. That's real wishful thinking. I've got no oil, but I'm going to try to let it, light it anyway. <laughs> I didn't put anything in this thing that could burn, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to strike, a, strike a match and put it to it and see if maybe there's some fumes or something in there. In other words, they're not ready to use the lamp which renders them not ready to go out, which renders them not ready to meet the bridegroom. Correct? It's all, all simple so far. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so. We don't believe in sharing. We're not communists. We're not socialists. What if, what if the bridegroom's a long way off and we don't have enough oil to get all the way to where he is and then we'll all be standing in the dark halfway there? No. So that's harsh, that's crude, that's rude. We're not teaching anything here about sharing oil with your neighbor and helping your neighbor with his lamp. Jesus is telling you a story so you'll know what, something he wants you to know about the kingdom of heaven. Okay, I've got to keep bringing you back there because we've heard so many things taught about this passage that may or may not be accurate, but they're not what the passage is about. So he says, The wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Which is rather humorous. Because it's midnight and... The 7-Eleven closed at 11. <laughs> you can't buy oil. And how would you get to the store anyway? Because you don't have any oil. 
Basically, the ones that had the oil in their lamps and were ready said to the ones that weren't ready, that's your problem. Don't make it our problem, it's your problem. My wife and I were talking this evening on the way home from the airport. Don't you get tired of hearing all these politicians say, we have a problem with crime, and we have a problem with drug addiction, and we have a problem with alcohol. No, I don't. Stop blaming me. <laughs> I don't have a problem. We have, we have a divorce problem in America. We have a, 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 all these. No, we don't. If you do, admit it, but stop trying to drag me into it. I've got oil in my lamp, and it's burning. Keep it burning to the break of day. Sing Hosanna, sing Hosanna, the King of Kings. I, <laughs> and, and so they, they said to these five that weren't ready, go get oil. We, got, we went and got oil. Go buy oil. We went and bought oil. You don't have oil? Go get oil. We got oil. We're not giving ours to you. Verse number 10. And while they went to buy, which must have been quite a scene, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Now, I, I'm thinking this is a parable or a story Jesus is telling to illustrate a truth because I've done a lot of weddings. I've been to a lot of weddings. Not midnight. Maybe, maybe in Vegas they have midnight weddings, but prob probably not in, in old Jerusalem here. And, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the, the virgin, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Now, here's what people do. Because these five foolish virgins said to the master of the house, Lord, Lord, Commentators and preachers try to make this bridegroom the Lord, which leaves you in a real tough spot because now you've got people who earned their way into the marriage and the presence of the Lord and some people who didn't earn their way into the marriage and the presence of the Lord. And now you've got to either try to explain it away or teach some false doctrine to, to justify it. And here's, here's all you need to know. Verse 13, watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Verse 1, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto, and he tells this story, and says in verse 13, he didn't say get a lamp. He didn't say make sure you got enough oil. He didn't say keep your matches dry. He didn't say sleep lightly with the windows open so you can hear the bridegroom when he calls. All that makes for, for interesting preaching, and I've done some of it myself. But what Jesus did is he illustrated you have got to be ready for the second coming when it happens because when it happens there won't be time to get ready. You have got to be prepared for the coming of the Lord because it will be so sudden, so swift, so immediate that if you are not prepared, you can't get prepared. That's the message. And it's a simple message that gets complicated and confounded. Which means, boys and girls, you couldn't possibly 
even by the signs, even by the judgments, even if you tried to line up what was happening in the world with what's written in Revelation and Zechariah and Isaiah and all these other things, if you can't know at the close of the tribulation the time of the Lord's return, then you sure can't know it this side of the rapture. You know what he's telling them? He's telling them, you got to be ready. You got to be continually, constantly, right now, ready. Why? Because you don't know when it's going to be. Don't you think if they knew when he was coming, they would have had oil? If they knew when he was coming, why would they, why would they be asleep when they were awake with anticipation? See, if you're going to make this, uh, the, the whole story about the Lord coming. So, the parable or the, or the tale of the ten virgins can be broken down piece by piece and we can learn a lot of interesting things about it and, and we can make sense of it and we've done that and we'll, we'll do it uh, if we ever teach through Matthew again. But simple snapshot, you've got to be ready for the coming of the Lord because He will come quickly. He will come immediately. He will come in such a manner that if you are not ready when He arrives, that's it, you're out. Now, many people have said, and, and we'll see it even more clearly Sunday night when we get to this chapter, Many people have said that the way that you uh, get saved in the tribulation time is you don't take the mark of the beast. Or the way that you get saved in the tribulation time is you, 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 you don't participate in the Antichrist kingdom and so forth. And yet, three times in Matthew, Matthew 22, twice in Matthew 25, we have people who survive all the judgments of the great tribulation. And when the Lord returns, they are cast out of His kingdom. Which means you've got to have faith in and a relationship with the Lord living through the tribulation and not taking the mark and, and hiding out underground and eating pork and beans. Well, no, <laughs> eating beans without pork. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a Jew, does not equate to salvation. You might save your life, but that doesn't mean you've saved your soul. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, we are of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Not we are them that work to the saving of the soul, or we are them that don't do bad things to the saving of the soul, or we are them that have oil in our lamps to the saving of the soul. Believing is the way that your soul is saved. Now many of you were taught, now since we're here we may as well just tackle this just for a minute or two. Uh, many of you have been taught that oil in the Bible is a type of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have heard that or been taught that? And uh, you probably all, uh, most of you have heard a sermon about fresh oil by a famous Baptist preacher and God give me, give me more oil. And most of us, we were kids in Sunday school, sang that song, give me oil in my lamp, keep it burning, give me oil in my lamp, I pray, give me oil in my lamp, keep it burning, keep it burning till the break of day. And then give me oil in my Ford, keep me running for the Lord. And now we're... 
there are all kinds of verses to that song get, got added through the year, kind of like the, uh, the cheesy taco, <laughs> me and Squanto, and all those other racist verses we've added to that, <laughs> that, to that Sunday, Sunday school song we sing back there. But so I was taught, maybe you were taught as well, that uh, when the Lord comes back, the people that are saved and have the Holy Spirit will get to go with him into the marriage and, and they'll be the bride and he'll be the bridegroom. And, and the people that aren't saved, they don't have the Holy Spirit, so they won't get to be part of the bridegroom. And it gets all really convoluted because the church is called a chaste virgin in 2 Corinthians 11 because we're all one in Jesus Christ. Ten virgins wouldn't be a type of the of the church. Well, it wouldn't represent the church. And by the way, for those of you that, that uh, um, haven't heard this word before, um, <laughs> what, what a society we live in. We were, we were doing a Bible study one time. Somebody said, what's a virgin? <laughs> I'd say, wow. Yeah, well, a lot of people never met one. Anyway, so let's, let's see if this oil is the Holy Spirit here. You ready? Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamp and went, lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. They're not marrying him. They're going to meet him. He's already been married, if you're going to make this bridegroom Christ at his second coming. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and had no Holy Spirit with them. But the wise took Holy Spirit in their vessels, with their lamps. So we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So five have Holy Spirit in their bodies and five don't have Holy Spirit in their bodies. Sounds, sounds good so far. Um, while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. At midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their bodies. Not sure how you do that. Shave your beard, I guess, and <laughs> cut the split ends off your hair. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your Holy Spirit, for our bodies have run out of Holy Spirit. How's that working out so far? But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough Holy Spirit for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell the Holy Spirit, and buy the Holy Spirit for yourselves. Sound like an Oral Roberts thing. <laughs> Mail me ten bucks, I'll send you a vial of Holy Spirit. <laughs> but while in verse ten, while they went to buy the Holy Spirit, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in uh, with him to get married, and the door was shut, so they went up to heaven because that's where the door is in Revelation four one. And afterward came also the other virgins to the door of heaven. Not sure how they got there, but they did saying, Lord, Lord, open to us, which is quite a feat to get from earth all the way to the door of heaven as a human in a body of flesh, well, a vessel of flesh, and without Holy Spirit, or maybe they bought some, just enough to get to the door, but not enough to get all the way in. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch ye therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So you could, you could make some curious preaching out of 
that passage. But we're not supposed to make curious preaching out of passages. We're supposed to rightly proclaim what the Lord said. And what he said is, I want you to be ready. Because when I come, if you're not ready, you can't get ready. Fair enough? All right, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Now remember in your Bible, here's another distinction. If, you, if you're saved and born again, you're a child of God. We're not servants. We can voluntarily yield ourselves to be his servants, but he doesn't own us as a master-servant relationship. So this is speaking of, of the nation of Israel. They are his servants, and he delivered unto them his goods. Uh, they were given that priesthood and kingdom and, and uh, sacrifices and offering and all that. And so, verse number 15, unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. And then when he had, that had received the five talents, went and traded with the same, and made them other five talents. That's pretty good. 100% increase. He had five, he turned them into ten. Likewise, he that had received two, he gained other two. You notice this Lord didn't give everyone the same, they didn't all start out in the same place. And they didn't all finish in the same place. But the first two people did something with what was given them, which is, which is what's expected of them. But he that received, had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money which is probably why he only gave him one. Because he doesn't know what to do with it, but he's doing the best he knows how. So well, I'm not, at least I'm not going to lose it. And he buried it in the earth. Uh, hopefully it's not like those dogs that bury those bones and can't remember where they, where they buried them. But there it is. And so uh, in verse number 19, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. Now you see again how you could, you could easily be drawn into teaching that, that, that this, this man here is Christ and these servants here are us and he's going to reward us for our labor. You're going to get that in Luke. But in these Matthew passages, Lord is what a servant calls his master. Lord is what somebody wanting to get in the house to participate in a wedding would call the owner the master of the house. It's not a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a polite and proper uh, term of respect. And so he says, um, uh, it, it's, uh, it said, uh, I, you gave me five talents, verse 20. And uh, brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord, see the small l, his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. 
He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two talents, uh, two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. All right. If we're supposed to learn something from Jesus regarding the kingdom of heaven, here's what we're, here's what we're supposed to learn. First, he's going to be gone a while. In fact, he's going to be gone a long time. That's what he said. While I'm away, I'm going to give my people opportunities to serve me profitably. When I get back, I am going to evaluate their service and I am going to entrust them with more service if they have proven themselves faithful servants. That's what you read. You don't have to interpret it. You don't have to, what does this mean? What does that mean? It means just what it said. The one who, look, the five talents are the Lord's. The, the Lord of this, the five talents are His. He lets someone use them. If they use them not to their own advantage, but to the Lord's advantage. Notice, notice. I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to not make this... Jesus and us, because it's not in the story. This man gives this man his five talents. When he gets back, the man says, here are your five talents, and here are your other five talents that I earned for you. He didn't enrich himself by his service, he enriched the one who invested in him. Everybody see that? As a result, the Lord, who now has ten talents, said, I can really trust you. I'm going to give you a big job this time because I know you'll do what's right. Everybody see that? So, if, if we're going to learn something about the kingdom of heaven or about the Lord's dealing with His servants, let's learn it. Because it's very different from what you'll get on religious television. The Lord has given you talent. And the Lord has given you opportunity. And the Lord has given you gifts. To do what? Serve Him. And if you use them for Him, guess who benefits? He does. Not you, Him. If you win souls, they're for Christ. If you build up saints, it's for Christ. If we establish churches, it's for Christ. If we give in the offering, it's for Christ. The TV preacher says, if you'll serve God, He'll pile heaps of stuff on you. You know what he said? When the Lord got back, he said, now give me what I gave you and give me what you did with it. And then he said, because while I was gone, you were profitable to me, 
now that I'm back, I will let you continue to be profitable to me. How about that? You know, if, if, if I had a, a business and I hired you, I am hiring you to make money for me. I'll pay you, but I'm not splitting the profits with you. I will keep you as long as you are making money for me. As soon as you start costing me money, I'm getting rid of you. I'm going to hire somebody that's going to make me money. Now, these guys are standing in these pulpits, and I think they're preaching some of this stuff because they've never had to work a job. The Lord is not going to pay you at his expense to serve him. That's not, that's not service. He is asking you to go to the street corner Friday afternoon for him. The nursing home Friday evening for him. The parades on Saturday for him. The prayer meeting for him. The mission field for him. This, well, if I serve the Lord, what do I get? Nothing. You already got everything you need. All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, if I give to the Lord, will He give me money? No, that's what a job's for. Well, don't you think the Lord will provide for us? No, He told you to provide for your household. Okay? So, you, you, I, know, I know what's been taught, but do you see the second guy? The Lord, that, that, that Lord had two talents... He gave them to this man to use. And when he gets back, he says, I want my two talents back. And what did, what did you do with them? Well, here's two more talents for you. Well, if we could get over this idea, that, well, I served the Lord and I didn't get anything for it. That wasn't the agreement. We serve the Lord so he gets something for it. Somebody, if we preach here Sunday morning, you invite somebody to church Sunday morning and, and, and we sing and we preach and we pray and that person trusts Christ their Savior, you know what you get for that? That soul's not yours. It's Christ's. And in heaven, for all eternity, they might, if they bump into you, they might say, thanks, appreciate you telling me about this. They're going to be praising Him. It's for Him. Likewise, when he gets back, they say, well, you know, when he comes back, if Israel serves him faithfully, they're going to get the land. No, they haven't served him faithfully. They've never served him faithfully, and he's going to give them the land because he already promised it to them. The issue here is whether or not they are profitable to him, not profitable to themselves. Do I see that? This idea that I'm serving God so it'll profit me, that's, that's misguided. We're supposed to be serving the Lord so it profits Him. All right, all right. People, I don't know, I don't know about that. I know because we're trying to put economic, you know, secular economics into, into the Bible. All right, better keep going. Well, that, that really ground everything to a halt, didn't it? Verse 24, then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee 
Thou art a hard man. <laughs> now, let, let's just for a second, let's, let's make this Jesus. Because that, that's, that's what we all do when, when we're teaching. Let's make this Jesus. I knew thee, thou art a hard man. You know that's true. He's, a, he's, he's gracious, he's loving, he's kind, he's merciful. But he doesn't bend, he doesn't yield. You know what this guy saw in the Lord? He saw what he wanted to see in the Lord. You know what the first two guys saw in the Lord? They saw what they wanted to see in the Lord. You want, you want to see God as a gracious God? He is. He is. You want to see him as a hard, cruel taskmaster? He will be. I mean, there's so many aspects to our God. It says more about you and about me, what we see in him, than it does about him. I knew, I knew thee. I knew thee. Uh, thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown. Gathering where thou hast not strawed. He said, man, you just come and hear these hostile takeovers and grab up everything you can get your hands on. And I was afraid. And went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. I'm trying not to get off track because a lot of this, it really does yield itself to preaching. But we're going to lose the, the correct doctrinal truth here if I, if I get too far off. But verse 25, you know, what, you know what happened to this guy? He was afraid to fail. He was afraid he wouldn't do well enough. And as a result, he did nothing. If, if you just view the Lord as this hard, cruel, austere taskmaster that's going to break your neck if you don't do it right... It will paralyze you, and you won't do anything for him for fear of doing something wrong. If you know that's one aspect of his character, but he's patient, and he's long-suffering, and he's merciful, and, he, and he's kind, and he, he lifts up the fallen, and he thinks, well, you know what, if I, if I mess up, he, he just might chasten me like a father chastens his children, but I know he loves me. And I know he'll help me, and if I know I don't do it right the first time, maybe I can get it right the second time. You see what happened to this guy? The aspect of his Lord that he focused on affected the manner of his service. Everybody see that? I don't want you to be afraid to try and serve God for fear you'll, you'll do it wrong. If you do it wrong, have a good heart and take correction. And do it right the next time. But if you try nothing, you're going to accomplish nothing. If you don't take a chance on doing something for God, you'll never do anything for God. And so he says in, in verse 26, His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. That's pretty rough. You know why he's wicked? Because he didn't do what he could have done. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. He didn't do what was expected of him. Made him wicked. It didn't say you're wicked because you did it wrong. You're wicked because you didn't try. Wicked, wicked servant and slothful servant. Such a great word in the Bible. If you've never seen a sloth, 
you really, you really ought to go see one sometime. Just take a trip to a zoo and get a chair and sit there and watch the sloth. You don't want to stand there and watch it. Your feet will get tired. I mean, you, it is amazing how slow they move if they move at all. And that's kind of like a lot of people God expected to serve him. He said, you knew that I reap where I sowed not. You knew that I gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to put my money to the exchangers. And then at my coming I should receive mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. And again, there, there are so many exit ramps. I feel like I'm in a city. It's just like you get off the road here all over the place. But if this Lord, if you're going to make this Lord uh, type of Christ, which I, I wouldn't go that far, but it's there. You know what he didn't do? He didn't divide 13 by 3 and dole it out equally. Or, or eight, let's see, 5, 2, that's 13 is the Luke one. Uh, eight, 8 by 3 and divide it up equally because that would be tough anyway. At least for my level of math. <laughs> you know what he did? He said, I can trust you with five. I'm going to give you a lot to do. I can trust you with two. I'm going to give you a lot to do. I can't even trust you with one. Why would I give you five? I can't trust you with one. You know, the, these, these equality people, these redistribute the wealth people, you know what they are? They're just crazy. They're just crazy. If you could... this. If you could divide the wealth of the world equally tonight, in 20 years it'd be right back where it is now. You don't, you don't believe it? You give one person 100 bucks, they'll go out and, and pay their bills. You give another person 100 bucks, they'll run right to the 7-Eleven store, buy cigarettes and lottery tickets. That's right, it's just how it goes. And if, if those lottery tickets are winners, they'll just buy more lottery tickets which I'm all for, it's recycling tax money. <laughs> anyway, you don't want me to park there tonight. This guy, I've, <laughs> these guys always ask me if I'm against the lottery. The, the lottery to me is a great illustration of uh, prayer. It just proves that God can't answer everybody's prayers. Because there'd be like 50,000 winners every week. Lord, please guide my hand. Give me the right numbers. Anyway. <laughs> Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not should be taken away even that which he hath. So what are we talking about here? Kingdom of heaven. We're not talking about you going to work. We're not talking about you investing your money in the stock market or burying it in the backyard. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. The Lord gives his servants duties. And he goes away for a long time. And when he comes back, to establish his kingdom. He gives places of service in that kingdom to those who have proven themselves servants, trustworthy servants, and to those who are alive and have survived, 
but have not proven themselves trustworthy, he doesn't give them anything to do, any place of responsibility, because he can't trust them. I don't understand a thing like that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, I'll help you make sense of it. On a Sunday morning in our, in our church, there will be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people here. There will, not be, there will not be but three or four men who couldn't attain a place of leadership within a local church. Most of them don't want to do what it takes. Fair enough. It's there. It would be given. You, you would give a, a deacon, they tell us deacons, somebody that serves, serves the pastor's direction. Okay, fine. Who couldn't serve at the pastor's direction? But who wants to? See? And so there's opportunities. We're going to go out Friday. We're going to go out Friday night. We're going to go out Saturday morning. We're going to go out Saturday afternoon. We're going to go out Saturday, Saturday evening. We're going to go out. And you've got all these people are going to say, or guys sit there and say, well, I wish, I, I wish God let me preach. I wish God called me to preach. Why would he call you to preach? You won't even go stand on a street corner and five minutes out of an hour lift up your voice and say something about Jesus Christ. Well, I want to go on, I, I want to go on deputation and be a missionary. Why would you ride around and take money from churches when you won't go witness after work? We're going to pay you to go to a foreign country and not do what you're not doing here? Now, it's not that all three of these men couldn't have done something. Two of them did something. One of them could have done something. He just chose not to. Now, why would a pastor of a church give responsibilities and duties to people who haven't shown that they have any interest in doing anything? It's not a criticism. It's not fault-finding. We're just trying to understand the passage. Christ comes back to set up this kingdom. Well, I want to be a duke. I want to be an earl. I, I want to be the duke of earl. I want to... <laughs> I, I, I want to be a, a knight. I want to rule over a city. Well, yeah, well, if you wanted to rule and serve and work, you sure didn't show it. whole time I was gone, I didn't see any interest in serving. Hope that makes sense to you. If it doesn't, we'll go over it again sometime. Now, verse 30, uh-oh, and... And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what you just read? This, this Lord, the kingdom's his, this Lord, the places of service and, and rule in the kingdom are his, this Lord comes back. And when he gets back, there are people who have lived to be present at his coming who are going to be thrown out because they're not fit for his kingdom. How about that? You know, if the rapture takes place tonight, there are people alive who have heard the truth. According to 2 Thessalonians 2, they've heard the truth, but they didn't believe it. 
and the church is going to be raptured out and they're going to be left, they're going to be left behind. You know why? Not because they couldn't have been saved, not because they couldn't have gone, they opted out. Likewise, when Jesus Christ comes back to this earth to establish His kingdom with His servants, with His chosen nation, it's not that all of them couldn't have participated, they just opted out. So you survived the tribulation, but you have no relationship to the king. You're gone. You're gone. So that, that getting saved in tribulation, there is a salvation there in Matthew 24. He that endures the end shall be saved. But if you read the chapter, it said, except those days are short, and there's no flesh be saved. So you save your life. Save your life. You figure it all out. You got the rice, you got the pork and beans. I'm sorry, I keep putting the pork in there. You got the rice, you got the black beans. How's that? Black beans and rice. It's really good. Not for seven years. Not for seven years. And, and, and so you get through that whole thing, you get a great hiding place, you got the ammo, uh, you got the camo, you got it all. Bought some of those miracle uh, tribulation rations from Jim Baker. Jim Baker's 80 years old yesterday. How do you remember Jim Baker? Jim and, Jim and, Jim and Tammy. Tammy's been gone for a while. Jim's still around selling great tribulation rapture prep kits. And <sighs> you got to hand to the guy. He, he can sell anything, man. That guy, that guy can sell ice to Eskimos, man. He, he is, he's really good at, at peddling stuff. I can't believe so many of you don't even know who Jim, Jim Baker was. Man, I am old. Jim and Tammy. Jim and Tammy were the, uh, um, before Paul and Jan, uh, if, if there hadn't been Jim and Tammy, there wouldn't have been a Paul and Jan. You know, y'all don't remember PTL, PTL Club? Pass the loot? <laughs> Pull the leg? <laughs> All right. So, casting the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you, can you and I don't want you to, but... Can you imagine 21 tribulation judgments and the Antichrist and the beast, then Armageddon and the second coming, and you get through all that and then get thrown into hell? Isn't that awful? Just awful. You say, well, nothing be any worse than that great tribulation, nothing for a living man on the earth. But to go from that and wake up in hell would be terrible, wouldn't it? Terrible. So most important thing for any man, woman, boy or girl, anytime, place, anywhere is be saved. Be saved. You've got to have faith in the Lord. So, All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible and pray, God, that everybody here is ready, ready for your coming. We're not trying to be ready for the second coming. We want to be ready for the rapture. But uh, what, a, what a day it's going to be for this old world when uh, Jesus Christ comes again. And, and uh, hard to believe it would be a surprise to people with all the warnings that he's given and all the uh, prophecies and preaching that have gone on. But people don't hear it. They won't listen. They don't believe it. And so what a, what a day that will be. Help us, Lord, for somebody here tonight that's not ready, not ready for the coming of the Lord in the air. Pray, God, they'd settle that thing with you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.